Well, good evening. What an exciting week. Isn't that just exciting? Well, this is going to be an exciting night. Tonight, we're going to kick off our five-part series on financial fitness. Now, the Bible has amazing things to say, encouraging things to say about finances and how God wants to bless our life through finances, how he wants to test our life, teach us things, uh, just great stuff uh, about money. Uh, over half the stories that Jesus told had to do with money. So it's a very important part of our lives. And, and today we are surrounded with all sorts of uh, bad news, all sorts of uh, hysteria, all sorts of crazy uh, stuff in regards to finances. And so in this series, we want to bring you back to the foundation of God's Word and what God has to say about money, uh, because that's where the, the real security, that's where the real hope is. And so uh, through this series, we're going to be studying two of my favorite books in the Bible, uh, the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, both of those books were written by King Solomon. Uh, he was the wisest and the richest man who ever lived. So he's got a lot of wisdom about money. So we're going to be looking at what he has to say. There are almost uh, 30 financial laws that we're going to look at as we go through uh, this series. Uh, they are financial principles that are laid out for us in God's Word, and if we will follow those financial laws, uh, then we'll reap great benefit. Uh, you know, as a nation, as a people, uh, we're in a major financial crisis, and we need all the wisdom that we can get, and hopefully that's what this series uh, will do for you. Now, before we move into Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and, and look at uh, the laws of financial fitness there, tonight I want us to spend some time seeing what Jesus said about money. Uh, as I said, over half the teaching illustrations that he used were about money. And one of the most famous illustrations that Jesus gave is called the parable of the talents. Now typically when we hear the word talent uh, in the English language, we think of an ability, uh, a gift, uh, something that I am able to do and able to do well. And so a lot of people take this story and they spiritualize it. And they make it about your talents and gifts and abilities. They say, well, this isn't really about money. This is about, you know, all the talents and gifts, about your whole life. Well, there's a secondary application of this teaching that applies to that area of your life. But quite honestly, this is a story about money. This is a story about money and how to handle it at its very root. Now... It's a story about money management. Now, in this story, we're talking about a lot of money. Uh, in the story, you'll hear the expression, a talent of money. One guy gets one talent, one guy gets two talents, another guy gets five talents. Well, how much money are they getting? A talent in today's money, it would be worth $1.8 million dollars. This is a very rich guy who is giving a lot of money to his servants to manage. I mean, 1.8 million is what one guy gets. The other guy gets uh, two times that. That would be 3.6 million. The other guy gets five times that. Uh, it's almost $9 million. This is a lot of money. Now, when you hear that, you may think, well, then this story doesn't apply to me because it, it only applies to rich people. Because no one's given me $1.8 million to manage. Okay? 
So I was thinking about that this week, and I did a little exercise. You know, this 1.8 million is really kind of an interesting number. Did you know that according to the 2010 census, the median household income in Belton is $45,000 a year? $45,000. You know, I get $45,000, Pastor. I didn't get $1.8 million. Now, if you work from age 25 till age 65, if you work from when you get out of college until you retire, that's a 40-year time span. And if you work 40 years and earn an average of $45,000 a year, that comes to $1.8 million. I mean, you know, I'm punching my little calculator, my little solar-powered calculator about this big on my desk because I don't do a lot with money, and especially not a lot with $1.8 million. And when that number came up and they matched, I just thought, isn't that amazing? I mean, folks, this parable is about us. It's about us. You know, it's just that God gives us the money spread out over a lifetime. Probably because he knows that he, if he gave it to us all at once, we would uh, squander it like a prodigal. I mean, you remember from last week the three characteristics of a prodigal. A prodigal becomes increasingly self-centered, a prodigal thinks they know it all, and a prodigal wants immediate gratification. That's one of the huge problems with money. We think we know what we're doing, and we want it now. You know, the advertisement on TV. It's my money, and what? I want it now. Yeah. God says, I'm not going to give it to you all at once. I'm going to spread it out over a lifetime so you don't squander it like a prodigal, and so you have an opportunity to manage it wisely. So it may appear like we don't have much, especially when we compare ourselves to others. But when we look at what God gives us over a lifetime, we have been given a lot that we are responsible for. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, 14. It's the story of a businessman. The businessman is going on a long trip, and before he leaves, he puts his servants in charge of his property. And he divides his wealth up among uh, his servants. And he says, you guys make the most of this until I come back. Uh, he's gone for a long time. He comes back home. He says, well, what did you guys do with the money? Two of them have a good report. One of them does not. Then Jesus draws some spiritual truths out of this story about money. And we learn seven foundations for financial fitness out of this story. The story begins this way. It says, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey... And he called his three servants together, and he entrusted his property to them. He called his three servants together, and he entrusted his money to them. So whose money are we talking about here? Is it money that belongs to the servants or money that belongs to the master? It's the master's money. That's right. It's not the servant's money. It's the master's money. So the first law of financial fitness is the law of possession. Possession. Everything I have belongs to God. It is not my money. It is all God's money. Oh, but wait a minute. You know, I work for this. I earned this. Well, where did you get your body to work for it with? Where did you get your mind to work for it with? Where did you get the talents, the abilities to work with? Everything you have, even your very life, is a gift from God. You don't own anything. It's all on loan from God. I didn't own anything before I was born. 
Uh, I didn't bring anything into the world when I was born. I won't take anything out of this world with me when I depart. It's God's money. God loaned it to somebody else before I got here. When I showed up, he began to loan it to me. When I leave, he'll loan it to somebody else. But it's God's money. Verse 15 tells us how the master loans out his money. He says, to one servant he gave five talents of money. To another he gave two talents of money. To another he gave one talent of of money. Each according to his ability. Then he left on his journey. So that's the second law of financial fitness, the law of allocation. God has loaned me money. You know, Jesus tells us everybody gets a different amount. One guy got one, one guy got two, one guy got five. It wasn't distributed equally among them. Everybody doesn't get the same amount of money. But everybody gets something, and whatever they get, that's what they're responsible for. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work. Circle that phrase, put his money to work, and gave five more talents of gold. So the one with two talents also doubled his money. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and just hid his master's money. First thing we see here is that money is a tool to be used. Money is a tool to be used. You use money and you love people. You use money and you love people. Now, if you love money and use people, you're headed for trouble. Now, in itself, money is neither good nor bad. Money's neither good nor bad. It's what you do with the money that matters. And you can use money for very selfish purposes, and you can use money for very generous, unselfish purposes. Money can be used by criminals to promote drugs and prostitution, or it can be used to spread the gospel and feed the hungry. Same money used for a different purpose. Now, in this story, Jesus says to put your money to work. The reason most people never get out of debt is they're always working for money rather than having their money work for them. If you work for money, you will always need more. You will always be in debt. But if you learn how to make money work for you, then money becomes your servant. And money is a wonderful servant. It is a terrible master. Law of application says that you don't get to choose what you're given. God determines what you get. And he's watching you to see what you do with what you get. He's not watching to see what you do with somebody else got. You know, when you get to heaven, God's not going to say, what did you do with everybody else's money? No. You are only responsible for the resources that you have been given. And God isn't going to compare you to anybody else. God lets you choose what you do with the money that he gives you. You can waste it. You can spend it, you can use it, you can invest it, you can hoard it. God lets you choose what you do with it. But whatever you choose to do with it, one day you will give an account of it to God. Verse 19 says, After a long time, the master of the three servants returned to settle his accounts. That's the third law of financial fitness. It's accountability. One day, God will audit me. One day, God is going to audit your accounts. He's going to audit how you use 
the money that he gave you over a lifetime. You know, he's seen everything you've ever done with your money. He's seen the times you've used it wisely. He's seen the times that you blew it. But it is foolish. It is just foolish to go through life thinking that I'm not going to have an audit at the end of my life. I mean, do you think that God would create you? God would put you on this planet for a lifetime. God would give you the money and the resources that you have and then not hold you accountable for it? That just doesn't make any sense. Romans 14, 12 says, Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now notice that these three guys had three different results. Verse 20, 21, first guy, he, he's got a good return on his investment. It says, The man who received five talents brought the other five he had made. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. This guy got a 100% return on his investment. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. Second guy reports a return on his investment. The master who was the servant who was given two talents of money also came and said, Master, you entrusted me with two talents. Now see that I have gained two more. He's doubled his. 100% return on his investment. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. Now the third guy, the third guy did not use wisely what God had given him. It says, then the man who had received one talent came and said, Master, I knew you are a hard man. Now notice he's turning the tables, trying to put the blame on his boss. Okay? He says, this is, this is why I did what I did, because you are the way you are. You are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, here's what belongs to you. You know, out of fear, he did nothing with what he'd been given. He buries what God has given him, and he does nothing with it. And then he blames his master for his own mismanagement. He says, it's really all your fault. I'm just a victim of, of, of you being su such a hard-nosed person. You know, people mess up their finances by making bad choices. And then they blame everybody else and act like they're the victim. You know, they blame their boss, they blame their creditors, they blame the bank. Proverbs 19.3, people ruin themselves by their own stupid actions and then blame the Lord. But God doesn't cause you to charge all that stuff you can't afford to pay for. You know, God doesn't make you go out and buy a car you can't afford. God doesn't make you go out and buy a house you can't afford. Notice the master's response to this guy. He says, you wicked, lazy servant. Now, I think it's interesting at this point that he does not rebuke the guy as being unfaithful. The other, other two guys are called faithful. Good and faithful servants. He doesn't rebuke the guy for being fearful. You are afraid. Oh, you shouldn't be afraid. No. What does he rebuke him for? He rebukes him for his wickedness and his sloth. He says, you wicked, lazy servant. You should have at least put my money in the bank so I could make some interest. At least putting it in a savings account so that it generates a little bit of income. That's better than digging a hole and hiding it. Fourth law of financial fitness is the law of utilization. I must use God's money wisely. God expects me to invest. God expects me to put the money to work that he has loaned me. 
Money is a tool to be used. It's not to be stockpiled. It's not to be hoarded. It's not to be wasted. And the problem with this third guy is, is that his fear, and honestly, it's an irrational fear. It's an irrational fear causes him to take the master's money and just sit on it. And it upsets the master. He calls him wicked and lazy. Now, why is it wicked? Well, because how you handle your money is ultimately a spiritual test. Every time Jesus talks about this, there is a spiritual correlation. God gives you money on earth to see if he can trust you with greater spiritual responsibilities in heaven. If God can't trust you with money on earth, what can he trust you with in the spiritual realm in heaven? He says doing nothing with your money is inexcusable. To just sit on it, to not use it, to not invest it is lazy and wicked. Now why did this guy bury the money? What, what was the motivation? Why do we bury things? We bury things to forget about them. We bury things to hide them, to get them out of our sight. I don't want to think about this. I don't, I don't want to face it. I don't want to deal with the responsibility of that. And many people go deeply into debt because they don't want to think about it. You know, I know I'm going deeper and deeper into debt every month, so I'm just going to bury my financial problems and ignore my debt. You know, you start getting credit card bills and you're, you just don't even want to open them because you don't want to know what they are. That's a real red flag. Because denial about your finances leads to disaster. You know, doing nothing with my resources is wicked because God did not put me here on earth to do nothing. God put me here on earth to live out, to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission, even in how I manage my money. Now, which of these three people, the five-talent person, the two-talent person, or the one-talent person, which one of those three is most likely to bury the money? The one-talent person. Why? Because when we look around and we see other people who have more, two, maybe even five times more than what we have, we, you know, we start comparing ourselves to other people. And think, well, you know, I don't have what they have. I can't be expected to do what they can do. So I don't do anything. But God is not going to audit you according to what everybody else has. God will judge you according to what you do with what you've got. The fact that someone else has more than me does not exempt me from my responsibility. Now, why do we hide our talent? I mean, it's not like one talent is nothing. It's $1.8 million. That's enough money to make a significant difference, to make an impact. Why do we do that? Well, that brings us to the fifth law of financial fitness, and that's the law of motivation motivation and I must move against my fears you know what keeps us from managing our money God's way well one of the things is fear fear keeps us from doing it God's way you know uh, the two productive servants are called faithful they responded to their responsibility with faith you know the wicked lazy servant didn't respond with faith he responded with fear because the opposite of faith is not unbelief. The opposite of faith is fear. In the Bible, God gives us financial principles that lead to financial blessing. But these principles often run counter to our culture. 
they often run counter to our own desires and our own wisdom. Again, the prodigal, I think I know better than God how to manage this money. You know, God's principles are often the exact opposite of what you feel like doing. You know, God says, we're going to make this a test. Are you going to do things my way or are you going to do things the world's way? Do you trust God or do you trust yourself? And the reason why a lot of people never get out of debt is they are unwilling to trust God in the steps to getting out of debt. They are afraid to do what the Bible says to do about money. And because they're afraid to do what the Bible says, they just go from year to year to year constantly in debt. God promises if I follow his laws of financial fitness, I'll find blessing, I will find benefit, but that requires faith, not fear. The wicked lazy servant says, I was afraid I hid your money in the ground. Now there are a lot of different fears that can come in when we start looking at how we handle our money. Uh, one fear is the fear of self-doubt. Oh, you know, I, I could just, I, oh, I could never do that. I could never take that risk. I, I could never start my own business. I could never step out and, and, and do that. Oh, I, I could never do, I'm not qualified. There's self-doubt that holds us back. Uh, there's the fear of self-consciousness. We just worry about, well, what will other people think? If I start to do that kind of stuff, well, you know, what will everybody else think? You cannot live your life afraid of what other people are going to think. The Bible says the fear of man is a trap. And then there's the fear of failure. You know, we're just afraid that if we take the risk, we're, we're going to fail. How many of you, when you were in school and the teacher would ask a question, how many of you were afraid to raise your hand and answer the question for fear you'd get it wrong? Anybody? Okay. Yeah, a lot of you. Some of you are still afraid. You're not raising your hand. Because okay. you're not sure. It's a trick question. What's going to happen? The fear of failure holds you back. I've failed in the past. I'm never going to try again. But failure, honestly, is the only way to learn. I mean, don't call it a failure. Call it an experiment. Call it an education. Better to have tried and failed than to have not tried at all because of fear. Now, look at the way two of the disciples handled failure. There are 12 disciples. Two of the disciples uh, denied Jesus Christ at the crucifixion. Judas denied Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. They both committed the same sin. You know, uh, no one was worse than the other. They both denied Christ. What made the difference was the way they reacted to their failure. You know, Judas had a pity party. He got all depressed. He went out and hung himself. Okay? Peter realized what he had done. He recognized his failure. He asked Christ to forgive him, and he repented. And Peter, the failure was a guy that Jesus chose to preach the sermon on the day of Pentecost that launched the church. Peter, the failure, was the guy that Jesus chose to launch the church. 3,000 people got saved when Peter preached that sermon. God chose the guy who'd blown it the most to do the greatest work. So if you start having a pity party, you think, you know, I've just really messed up financially in the past. Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you're going right now. You know, don't let that failure stop you. Let it motivate you. Now, you didn't get in debt overnight, and you're not going to get out of debt overnight. 
Uh, But if you'll stick with us over the next five weeks of this series, we're going to help you learn these laws that will help you to manage your finances, to get yourself financially fit. But you've got to do it God's way. You know, we're going to look at how to leave a legacy to your children and your grandchildren, but you've got to do it God's way. And Satan is going to try and get you to not do it God's way, and he's going to, one of the things that he uses is fear. Fear is one of his greatest tools, and that's why you've got to move against your fear to do the right thing. We come to the next principle, verse 28. Master says this, he says, Take away the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten talents. He says, Take it away from this guy who didn't do anything with it and give it to the guy who did the most with it. Take it from this guy, give it to the richest guy. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But to those who are unfaithful, even what little they have will be taken away. Uh, Folks, listen, that teaching right there flies directly in the face of our culture today. Our culture today is we need to take from people who are successful and we need to distribute it to people who failed. That's the attitude of the world. The Bible says exactly the opposite. It's the law of application. The law of application is if you don't use it, you lose it. If you don't use what you've got, you don't get to keep what you've got. You use it or lose it. And we see that all over. It's a universal law. You see it in in exercise. If I don't use my muscles, I lose my muscles. Uh, We see it just with our brains. If I refuse to think, I lose my ability to think. If I refuse to practice, then I use my ability, whatever it is, to speak a foreign language, to play the piano or an instrument, the ability in sports. If you don't practice, you don't use it, you lose it. But the flip side is this. If I use it wisely, God will give me more. That's the biblical principle. If I'm faithful in the money principles that I find in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and throughout the Bible, if I'm faithful in tithing and saving and spending and giving and investing, God says, I can trust that person. I can trust that person with more. And can God trust you with more? Could God shower you with financial blessing knowing that you would use it wisely and not squander it? One more law. The law of compensation. God will reward me for good money management. I just looked through this parable and look at the rewards that are here. Verse 21, he says, The master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the first reward. Affirmation. You have been faithful in a few things. I will now put you in charge of many things. The second reward is promotion. Come and share your master's happiness. That's the third reward. Celebration. Affirmation, promotion, and celebration. Those are the rewards. The reward of affirmation. God says, well done, good and faithful servant. I was testing you to see if you could be trusted with what I gave you, and you passed the test. You have been faithful in the few things. I will put you in charge of more. That's the reward of promotion. Greater responsibility. Your responsibilities, your roles, your rewards in heaven are going to be based on what you did with what you have here. 
It's the principle of promotion. If you pass the test, uh, you get more. Then the third reward is celebration. Come and share your master's happiness. In the King James, it says, enter into the joy of your reward. You know, there, there, there is joy that comes from managing your money well. Your money's the acid test of how much you trust God. That's why Jesus had so much to say about it. That's why we're going to spend five weeks on this. The goal here isn't just to get you out of debt. The goal is not just to try and make you financially successful. The goal is to help you to learn to trust God more. To increase your faith and your obedience in a very crucial, a very key area of your life. Your spiritual life. Jesus said, if you are untrustly, untrustworthy with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? You know, if God can't trust you with money here on earth, how can he trust you with true riches in heaven? Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. As I said, money is a terrific servant. It is a terrible master. And when money masters you, you're always under stress. You're always worried about the future. You're always uptight about it. You're always afraid. And fear is the opposite of faith. And when you're the master of your money, when money is your servant, when money works for you instead of you working for your money, then you have peace. Now let me ask you uh, this question as we close. If God did an audit of your financial fitness right now, if God did an audit of your financial fitness right now, what grade would he give you? A, B, C, D, incomplete, you know? Whatever your grade is right now, our goal over the next five weeks is to help you move up the scale. You know, we're praying that you will learn these principles and apply them so that you can receive God's affirmation, God's promotion, and God's celebration. Let's pray. Would you just pray this prayer in your heart? Would you say, God, I realize everything I have belongs to you. Nothing is really mine. It is just all on loan. And one day it will all return to you. Lord, I realize that one day you're going to do an audit of my life. You're going to ask me to give an account of how I lived, even in the area of how I managed my money. What did I do with what I was given? So God, I want to learn the laws of financial fitness. I want to move against my fears and do the right thing. God, help me to stay the course over time. You have given me so much over the course of a lifetime. And Lord, I realize if I don't use it, I'll lose it. So help me to learn how to use it wisely. Because I want the reward you've promised me for good money management. If you're here tonight and you're struggling in this area, unmanaged finances are simply a symptom of an unmanaged life. And what you need is a life manager. You need to put your life under new management. And that manager is Jesus Christ. And tonight I'd encourage you to just say, Jesus, I want to turn over every area of my life to you. I want to turn over even the area of my finances to you. Come into my life. Be the manager of my life.
I'm going to follow your will, your way, your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is a, a five-week sermon series. And honestly, if you're going to make this work, you're going to need all five parts. And I even toyed with the idea of this because all five parts of this are so crucial. I even toyed with the idea of just doing this in one session. Uh, like just picking a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon and just doing like a three, three and a half hour session where we walk through all five parts of, of this series. But there's benefit to spreading it out over the course of five weeks and giving you time to ponder uh, each part. And, uh, and that's really what I would encourage you to do over these next few weeks is to take this to heart a week at a time. Don't do anything drastic this week. You know, don't go out and, and dig up all the money you've got buried. <laughs> don't do anything drastic. But, but just hang in with us uh, through this whole series. Now, next week, we're going to look at the law of contentment. And I've asked Ryland to share with us next week about the law of contentment. And I know you may wonder, what can a 26-year-old teach me about finances? Okay? I understand that. But I want to remind you what Paul told Timothy. He said this. He says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you teach, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. And I can tell you, honestly, honestly, Ryland is an example in how he lives, in his love, in his faith, in his purity. And especially in the area of finances. And Ryland has been listening to Dave Ramsey since he was 15 years old. Since Ryland was 15, not Dave. (laughs) (laughs) And Ryland and Lauren have been working the laws of of financial fitness for years. Even before they they met each other, even before they uh, got serious as a couple... Uh, Even with college and nursing school, they have no student loans. They paid cash for their wedding. They have paid cash for all their vehicles. Uh, They are saving diligently uh, for their first house. They are excellent examples of contentment. And I look forward to what he has to say to us next week. Thank you. Andy.